same China, different stories. We are the ones that found their way in a new life. Adopted babies, adopted babies from China. Correct me if I'm wrong about how we connected. It was email. Yeah. <laughs> it was email. Okay. Awesome. Mia is a student at American University, which is on the East Coast of the United States. I will let Mia introduce herself. Hi, Mia. Yeah. So uh, my name is Mia Owens, and I am currently a graduate student at American University. And I'm in the public history master's program there. It's my first year. So I'm actually not in D.C. right now. I'm currently in Alabama, which is where I'm from. Um, Because right now, uh, all my classes are online. So I figured I might save a little bit of money and just live at home for some time for right now. Smart thing, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm really lucky to be able to have my parents who will let me live with them for right now right right. Mm -hmm. well hopefully if everything clears up you'll be able to go back to school in person because that is part of the experience it is i'm really hoping right now i'm not really sure about next semester yet because they're pretty much doing the same thing where most of the classes are online and all my classes will be online so i'm not sure if i am gonna go or not, I'm hoping at least by maybe the summer or at the latest by fall next year that I'll be able to go, but we'll see. I don't know, (laughs) it's hard to tell. Everything is up in the air right now. Well, I can say in my personal view, it's really exciting to share that we have a new president and our very first woman vice president-elect, which is so exciting, and she is mixed. I mean, it's kind of crazy. I mean, at least something is happening in the world that I feel like is showing a bit more diversity and representation in the government, so that's always a good thing. Oh yes, after the past four years of the complete opposite, definitely a relief, I would say. Let's get started. I know when we initially talked, I was talking all about my story, but this is definitely more for you. So let's go ahead. Tell me more about your adoption, your story, where you're from in China, and anything you would like to add about your adoption. Yeah, so I'm probably going to screw up all the pronunciation, but I was born in Pingjing, which is somewhere in southern China. I'm sorry, I'm not super knowledgeable about exactly where it was, but I was adopted when I was 10 months old, so I don't really remember much from when I was living in China. I also have two sisters who were adopted from, I believe, Nanchung, which is more northern China, I believe, and we all grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, Um, and I also have a brother who is, he's related to my adopted parents, and yeah, we all grew up together. And yeah, I don't know. It's been cool having two sisters who are also adopted because I feel like, like we don't really talk about it that much, but it's kind of nice that 
we all did come from a similar kind of background of moving here and kind of navigating life in Birmingham all together. That's oh, kind yeah, of fun. yeah. Yeah. I do think uh, Birmingham, Alabama, maybe in the city is diverse, but in the suburb, possibly where you grew up, it might not be very diverse. I don't know if that's the case and if I'm just assuming, but I can imagine that would be the case. First. Yeah, I mean, especially the area where I grew up, which is, it's considered like the overly mountain area, which is kind of associated with white flight in Birmingham. So when everybody moved from downtown and kind of retreated to the suburbs, we're kind of historically known as more of a, you know, predominantly white population. There was like, I don't, really under, I don't really know for sure how this all works, but there is like a pretty big Chinese population. And there's like a Chinese church right close to where I live and everything. And so like growing up, I did have other like Asian people in my classes. And like, there's definitely like a strong like Asian community. I just never really like felt like I belonged in that mm-hmm. kind of circle just because I guess part of it is because I didn't have like a culturally Chinese background like they did. And so I didn't really relate to them in the same way. Right, right. And I think, so most of my friends growing up were white. Right, right. And I think, I mean, most of them probably still are white, to be honest. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's not accurate to say that. At least where I grew up is predominantly white. And then we had various, like, other ethnic groups, but they were definitely in the minority. Cool that you have two sisters and a brother. Are you the oldest of all your siblings, or are you in the middle? Yes, I am the oldest. So oh, I'm the wow. oh, we call wow. me we call me the guinea pig of the family. So <laughs> <laughs> my parents kind of learned how to do all the child raising with me, and then I feel like everyone else has gone to get away with a lot more stuff. Like they got like it's been more slack on them growing up. So I feel like I had the strictest like upbringing. Everyone else got to do kind of whatever they wanted to do. Older yeah, older <laughs> and I was always like in charge of. You know, like when my parents were at work, I would help kind of make sure everyone did their homework or got fed and, you know, did all the normal things that they're supposed to do after school alongside my dad, who he retired from his job to help raise us. So my mom is the person who worked in our family. Oh, so cool. It sounds like a switch in the dynamics from what we usually hear about. Yeah, I guess it's, a, it's like kind of a switch in what you usually associate with gender I guess gender roles but I think it was something I didn't really realize was like unique I guess until I got to college or when I started talking to people more about it because I mean most people I guess either family at least in the suburbs like both their parents work or the dad works and I didn't realize that was unusual until I like started talking to more people about it and they're like whoa it's it's cool that your mom is the one who works while your dad's like the it's a stay-at-home dad is what we call it (laughs) yeah yeah it feels like there's a lot of progressive change especially in the recent years but it does seem that the usual expectation is the male is the breadwinner and the woman is the stay-at-home so it's good to hear a different dynamic does actually exist and we know about it too yeah, it's weird because it does feel like a lot 
has changed in that dynamic, but people like don't, I don't know, like people still feel like it's still like, you know, like a century ago when that wasn't the case or something, or even like, I guess 50 years ago when that may not be the case. So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. just all kind of weird to think about. It's only like 50 years ago when that was normal. <laughs> Yes, I think America still has a lot of work to do with equal pay in gender, but that's for another day. I would like to hear more about your story, especially with your at American University, and if you could tell me more about what your study is, how you chose to become interested in that field, and what is your study at the university. So... The area of study I'm currently in is called public history. And I think I first kind of fell into that area within like the historical field um, in undergrad. So I went to Stanford University in Birmingham and I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I first got there. And I had a friend who like loved history and told me that I should do it. And I was like, okay, like if you think I should, then maybe I should. Um, and so I started taking more history classes and just really fell in love with like the more community-based classes I got to take. We had like an oral history, um, I guess you could say it's a program initiative. I think they called it an initiative, an oral history initiative at Stanford where you got to um, interview members of different communities within Birmingham to help kind of document their stories within like the historical narrative and oral history is basically kind of a really good historical tool for capturing histories that may be overlooked or don't have a lot of like physical documentation mm -hmm. or it's also just a good way to understand how people like view their history um so we got to interview some like african-american communities in birmingham and then some other of my projects were dealing with like more themes along religion or um, things like that to kind of have more of a historical representation of Birmingham that was diverse. And so like through that, it was just really cool to get to work with, I guess, the public to acknowledge their histories. And I really loved doing that. And so after I graduated, um, I still didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do, but I knew I liked doing that. So I figured it'd be a good opportunity to do some like internships or just take a gap year before I, before I decided to pursue any master's program or any other education. Um, and also just to see what kind of jobs might be out there. And so I did an internship at our local NPR station with the, um, they had like a StoryCorps initiative that um, dealt with trying to get people across political boundaries. So instead of like the normal story story core conversation where it was two people who already knew each other talking about like their life experiences it would be two people who didn't know each other but were on opposite sides of the political spectrum and then try to see how their life experiences form their political ideologies and so i got to do that for over the summer and then i applied to some other things in the meantime and one of them was the AmeriCorps Ohio History Service Corps local history member position in Ohio. It's kind of a mouthful to say, <laughs> um, but it's like just a specific branch within AmeriCorps that um, deals mainly with, I guess, 
state things or um it was like one of the only two history programs within the americorps there's only the ohio one and like a west virginia one and i applied to both of them yeah i don't know why it's just those two um but i ended up getting placed in ohio and was able to get a position there and so i relocated all the way from birmingham to warren ohio where i served at uh, the trumbull county historical society there and also a bunch of other local historical societies to help them it was they call it capacity building it was basically just trying to help them um, have more sustainable societies where they would help people in their you know their region and make sure they're taking care of their collections properly mm -hmm. and whatever we could do within like our capacity well in that year is what we would try to develop projects around but all through that i just really i mean it's definitely not easy to try to get used to like a place within a year like that and it definitely made me like stretched me I think and I grew a lot through that but I just really loved the community-based projects I got to do there and then in the meantime of that I decided I should probably especially like after talking to my boss I decided I should probably get a master's degree to see where that would take me because it's a lot easier to get jobs within the history field if you have a master's degree to be honest but yeah I got accepted to American which is great and then I started school again, which has been kind of adjustment from going from the nine to five schedule to another school oh, schedule, yeah. trying yeah. to figure out how to do that again. <laughs> but that's kind of where I am now. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. it took me a while to get through like all the different, like figuring out what I like to do and what I want to do and what would be, you know, financially, like I'd be financially able to do and stuff. And I don't know what I'm going to do after master's yet. I think that'll be yet to be explored mm -hmm. as I continue in the program, but that's kind of where I am now. Thank you for sharing about your pathway so far, and I'm sure it will change and adapt as you finish your master's. Based on what you were saying, it sounds like the community aspect really aligns with your interests as well. Too. Yeah, I think so. I think it's just because, I think part of it is because a lot of the opportunities that I have had have been very dependent on the community support and the people I know, like helping me find those like ways to, you know, figure out what I like to do. And I don't know, I just also really like seeing when people do get to like recognize their like community history or like see the value in mm -hmm. their like experiences. It's just a really cool moment when they get really excited about sharing it and I get excited about like helping them share that with other people right. and yeah it's just right. so valuable I mean I'm sure you also have seen with your podcast that it's just <laughs> a really cool moment to have that like shared value within like an experience that people have even if that experience is something that's really challenging or fraught yes that's cool I believe currently you are connecting your adoption with your master's now, right? Now, yeah, correct? so the reason why, yeah, so the reason why I reached out to Tara was because I'm taking an oral history class right now where we got to choose whatever theme topic that we wanted to, especially right now, since we're not all in DC, we couldn't do the normal like interviews in person. And so I thought it'd be a really good opportunity to kind of look more into like the background of my own community that I haven't really done before since 
you know, the Asian American adopted community is kind of spread out across the United States. Um, I thought it'd be kind of cool to use the opportunity that I, since I couldn't do the interviews in person, it could be awesome to be able to do these interviews online. So you had to do them online. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so, I don't know, I think part of it, I feel like it's kind of for selfish reasons because I wanted to see how other people have grown up as, you know, Chinese adoptees and if that has been different than my own or if they've had similar challenges that I've had with, you know, trying to figure out things like identity or like a place within community. I've been using this project kind of as an opportunity to explore that myself. I've done one other interview with someone who's actually from Texas. Um, yeah, Ooh. about her life as a Chinese adoptee. At the end of the project, we're supposed to do some kind of interpretive piece, which I'm still trying to figure out, but it's been really cool to be able to do that um, over the course of the semester so far. It's really cool to hear you go through the process and experience of doing this project because I find a lot of people I've spoken with will usually talk about their masters that they finished or other projects they've done before related to adoption, but it's cool to hear your process. I find the interview format really is the best because one, it's kind of therapeutic and two, you can really connect with somebody on a level that's core to yourself as a person. It was really cool too because yeah. I mean, I've done some oral history interviews before and usually you don't have a strong of a connection with like that person's background. And so when I did it with the other, um, like with you and with the woman from Texas, like even after the interview, I felt like she asked me a lot of questions about my own, you know, background, my own experience. And it was kind of cool to, I don't know, be able to connect with the interviewee in that way. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Because she was like genuinely curious about like to see if her experiences and my experiences were like similar in any way. I think that it was like also cool because I feel like we felt pretty comfortable about talking to each other about these things, which is something that is kind of hard to do in interviews sometimes. So kind of get on the same page with somebody and get past that point of like discomfort where you're not really sure, like, I don't know, it's when you're like first starting to get to know somebody and like you're not really sure like how to give your answers or talk to them. And I feel like with her, it was a little bit, I don't know, it felt like we came to understanding at a quicker you know, pace that we usually do with interviews. So it was really cool. Yeah. I'm not sure if interpretive project also means you could as well. Yeah, that's part of it. Um, we could do like a podcast or they called it like a, there's something oh, like a radio documentary. So something kind of more, uh, I guess, more research or something than like most podcasts are, which I mean, not saying that podcasts aren't research, but yeah, a lot of them are more conversational yeah. rather than like pulling in other sources. Um, I think the idea with that was you'd be able to pull in other sources and have more comparative things to bring into it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm actually potentially going to collaborate with another person in my program who is doing interviews with members of DC's China, Chinatown. Oh. Um, and so oh. we thought it might be interesting to see like what kind of similarities or differences there are between those two like Chinese communities and then see if there's like a way to bridge the gap between those two experiences or if like they might just be completely I mean I think there are going to be similarities they're just going to be kind of different so we're kind of in the process of figuring that out I actually have to like send in a proposal about my final project next week so I gotta get on that but 
it's just kind of been an interesting opportunity to connect with more people about, I guess, Chinese American culture yeah. in both aspects of adoptee yeah. and like culturally Chinese people. Oh, that's really exciting for the potential to hear a podcast or something that bridges Chinese Americans and Chinese adoptees because I have heard recently that Chinese Americans and Chinese adoptees don't know too much about one another. There's a lot of overlap though, I believe, of course. Uh, recently, a Chinese American asked me what my family name is, and I guess there's historical significance, but I'm not entirely sure what that really is. So having a resource like your project potentially is really exciting as well. It's very exciting. I'm excited about <laughs> too. Exciting. Hopefully there's something there. I think there will be. Oh, I think we should be creative about oh, it too. Um, but we'll see how it goes. It'll be kind of, I mean, with everything kind of coming to like a chaotic point in the semester with all the projects being mm -hmm. due, I'm hoping that we'll mm -hmm. be able to devote enough time to like really make it something cool, but. Oh, it definitely does. Um, I'm also hoping that I'll be able to like extend this interest beyond like the, the scope of the class because it's only like a semester mm -hmm. and it's something that I'm genuinely interested mm -hmm. in. And so I'm hoping to maybe continue this project after the class or I have to negotiate some things with the professor yeah. who was in charge of yeah. it and stuff about whether or not he'd be willing to take in more interviews. But yeah, mm -hmm. it's something that I'm hoping to do more, hopefully in the future, but it's all kind of, yeah. uh, we'll I don't know, we'll see. Let's go ahead and take a break for now and we will be back. because I've learned, especially now recently, connecting with other Chinese Americans, that our knowledge of one another is very limited. It's actually pretty surprising to hear what they know about adoptees and what we know about Chinese American culture and them growing up as well here in the U.S. There is so much more to learn and a lot of resources, and the idea you have, I believe is a good one too for another resource available yeah because sometimes I mean I think with communities what I've kind of seen is that it's so hard because especially communities that are very tight-knit they're like great at speaking to their own community but they're not as like great at talking across like other communities that may be like similar mm -hmm. and so since mm -hmm. like there's this opportunity to maybe bridge that gap between the two. I'm hoping that it will really come to, like, we'll be able to show those ways that the communities are similar, even though they're not, like, really speaking to each other, like, most of the time, it feels. It could also be that there are, I know there are Asian American resources out there and Chinese adoptee resources, but it seems there are probably episodes that focus maybe on the crossover of adoptees and Chinese Americans I personally haven't heard them so I don't want to say that they don't exist 
that the idea for your project really gives a lot more opportunity too because we're all Chinese at the end of the day. Yeah, actually, more like <laughs> it's the bigger, the biggest thing I'm trying to get across is that I guess that the idea everything is more complicated than you know what oh, it yes. seems to be on the surface, and oh, yes. there's a lot more in common that you may not be able to see at first glance. But if you really, you know, I guess mm-hmm. talk to people and have those conversations, then a lot more yeah. can kind of come of that than you oh, expect. Yeah, I'll definitely keep you updated if yes. it actually becomes something. Yes. Um, yeah, right now it's kind of just like a a fake exhibit if we do make like an exhibit or something or like mm-hmm. a perspective like podcast episode. Mm-hmm. But it'd be cool if we could get some kind of buy-in from like an organization or right. something. But I think that would take right. a, a lot more time to figure out than the scope mm-hmm. of the class. That's where the project is right now. It would be an investment. <laughs> It's a very well thought out idea. I personally find it to be really fascinating and it would be cool to see it happen. The only real resource I've heard personally of Chinese culture and exposure outside of being an adoptee is the Shades of Yellow podcast by Culture Jen. The host is based out of Singapore and she has interviewed a lot of Chinese individuals across the world with various backgrounds and different specialties and different focuses. I was featured as the Chinese adoptee, and I'm sure she'll talk to others too. But it's really cool to hear the possibility of your project to also support and showcase different areas of the Chinese culture too. Especially those that maybe we don't know that much about and there is a lot that we all don't know about like when I first reached out to you I had like it's kind of a shot in the dark because I have not had any experience like really reaching out to any other like Chinese adoptee like communities but like after talking to you and like doing a little more digging it's really cool to see how many I guess different subsections of groups are, are out there and different resources and podcasts and oh yes <laughs> I really wish I could go through all of them and I don't know there's not enough time in the day to do that but oh yeah I just like seeing that oh, yeah it has like podcasting has given people that opportunity to mm-hmm. share their voice in that way it does seem in the past few months a lot of Chinese adoptee podcasts and channels video channels have really blown up which is a wonderful thing I know it's probably a lot to take in so I understand take that in time this one started this podcast because I hadn't heard any originally for Chinese adoptee as a part of another resource for everybody to listen to because why not (laughs) it also happens this podcast i do all the work marketing editing and everything has been the only consistent project and item during this pandemic so it's definitely been a wonderful therapeutic item for me to utilize so yeah, for my limited time. audio editing experience and like my interns internships and stuff, like audio editing is definitely a beast to figure out when you first get into it. So <laughs> <laughs> I was very um, astonished by your ability to 
produce a podcast all on your own and figure all that out because it's so <laughs> so difficult to you know get started with all of that when you start from kind of ground zero and then try to okay. learn all the programs and how to oh, you know yeah. market yourself or your podcast it's yes. all hard <laughs> it definitely is a lot of trial and error i have had the opportunity to speak with other adoptees and share a lot of my experience and learning lessons because i do believe it's wonderful to have more resources available for anybody versus not a lot or none it seemed at the time a couple episodes the guest that i spoke with grace had told me she really dived in deep with resources first she looked for chinese adoptee resources and this podcast came up which is pretty exciting and from there she actually discovered other resources like sat and cci and a lot of other chinese adoptee focused resources she had also found Lily Faye's YouTube channel. Anyway, it was pretty impressive for her to really take all of that information in because I believe it was only in the span of months versus I know personally for me, it was over the span of years, at least two, where I really started looking at resources and then listening and finding out more. I was able to sort of take it all in slowly and learn everything over a long period of time i think it's one of those things where i think i was always kind of aware of my adoption and like curious about it but it's also one of those things where you don't it's something i wasn't willing to devote the time to i guess Mm -hmm. until i guess this project came about um because it does take kind of a commitment to want to find those resources and I mean, they're obviously with the power of the internet. They're available. It's just finding the willpower to look through it and kind of sift through them and listen to them or read them. That yeah. takes an, an extra level of commitment that is sometimes hard to get to when you know you have all these other projects you want to focus, focus on. But yeah. Too, I'm sure. Yes, it's like what you were saying earlier with interviewing somebody and a topic such as our adoption is so serious but you're able to form a connection with somebody it's a really wonderful experience i don't think i would normally feel this connection with people i interview with yeah and there's a point i think that you personally have to be kind of willing to like i guess accept that there are like things to look out that could help you like figure out I guess who, I think that, especially like growing up where I didn't really talk about my adoption that much of anybody, it's something that was very introspective for me and that I kind of just like mold on like individually and like didn't really Mm -hmm. like want to like, I guess acknowledge it like outside of that maybe. I don't know if that makes sense, but I think it's one of those things where it's kind of like, you do reach that point when you do reach that point at a certain time then you can be like open to those resources and like learning yes for other people so it's definitely like such an yes. individual like journey to figure that out and like for mm-hmm. some people that may be like when they are younger and it may be that point for some people who are older than me like they don't get to that point until like later on in their lives and i don't know it's just since it's so deeply personal and individual to whoever's going through it i think it's mm-hmm. just been interesting to see how like different people have dealt mm-hmm. with it like at different times in their lives 
I feel like you express that very well. It's everybody's own individual journey, which I do say a lot on this podcast, and also with adoption in general, especially the birth parent search. That's ultimately an individual experience on how they would like to experience that themselves. That's everybody's own individual story there. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of nuance to it all. A lot of nuance, very complex. <laughs> it's complicated. It's complicated. It's complicated. <laughs> Have you been back to China or where you are adopted from in China? Do you want to go back? What are your thoughts and feelings about China? I have not gone back yet, and I'm, I mean, my family has always talked about all of us going back as a family and, like, visiting, like, China and potentially orphanages and stuff like that, but, you know, always kind of got pushed back um, because everyone, you know, was, had their, you know, school things they wanted to do and, you know, their other trips that kind of came up with, like, different activities and stuff, so it never happened yet, but... I don't know. I think it'd be cool to go back, but it also kind of makes me anxious because I don't know. I just, since I don't feel like I super relate with, I guess, like the Chinese culture part of like my life. I don't know. It's always made me anxious about like going back and like not knowing if I'd like feel comfortable there. I think it's the unknown of it that kind of scares me. Yeah. But yeah. I think it'd be really interesting to go back. I think I'd like to eventually. But I mean, of course, we can't really do that right now, for one thing, with the pandemic. But and I also think it'd be just really cool to go somewhere where, you know, there's so many people that look like me, to be honest. Like, because that's not something that I've ever experienced before. And I've, like, I remember I used to work with, sorry, this is like a big tangent, but I used to work with this woman at, I used to work at a library. And one of the women at coworkers who was black, I was like talking to her and she was telling me how she wished she could go to like such and such country so she could be around like all these people that look like her. And I like, had never thought about that before, but it also made me kind of feel like, yeah, I kind of want that too. Um, so I think that would be kind of cool to have that experience like that woman was talking about. So I guess, long story short, yes, I think I'd like to go, but I'm also, I think there's a lot of, like, apprehension about it for me um, right. if we did right. eventually go to see, like, the orphanage or, I don't know, there's just a lot of unknowns with it. Of course, thank you for sharing your feelings about this. I always ask this question because I do think sometimes hearing other adoptees, hearing your take as well allows them to sort of understand and think about what they feel and sometimes hearing it aloud from somebody else is really comforting to share because I do think it is a fear that many probably do share oh yes <laughs> yeah I don't know I never say yeah I don't know I don't know other people I guess I don't listen to your podcast more but it does make me wonder what other people would say to that question <laughs> I would say the most common thing I have heard is the curiosity to go a lot, lean more towards going. And I have heard 
am I agree too. It's nice to not be the only person that looks like me in a crowd at times, and especially in China, that's usually not the case. You are not alone. There's everybody is Chinese there. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. I feel like sometimes I'm like the token Asian person in the room, and it's like, uh, I don't like that feeling. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> the last question I always like to ask, is there anything you would like to hear from other adoptees or others who Chinese adoption has become a big part of their life? Hmm. I don't know. I think, I guess just the main thing I'd like to hear is how they've, I guess, come to like learn more about their adoption or like come to recognize like that part of their lives because something like when I was younger, I feel like it's something that I knew like for sure that, I mean, of course I knew that I was adopted, but it's something that like I didn't like want to acknowledge that I was like different than other kids I guess that I knew and how like it didn't like make a like a difference really because like my family is just as loving as their family probably was or like at the end of the day like, of the day, like family I feel like it's family and you know you have your challenges mm -hmm. and you know things like that but I think growing up that was something that was really difficult for me to kind of finally acknowledge that like it was like different in some ways but in the day it really wasn't that different than other families I think just like learning about how other people have come to recognize their adoption I guess is the short answer um, of what I would yeah. want to learn yeah about because yeah. I don't know yeah. it's just all I guess like we've had before it's everyone's experience is a little bit different and how they recognize that mm -hmm. part of themselves and if it is like a important part to them or not yeah. I guess that's the kind of nice yeah. thing is that we can kind of choose how much we want to like take or leave that part of our lives and I don't know I think that it's important that you know everyone takes it or leaves it as they need to or to figure out like their identity or things like that but yeah I don't know that's kind of a, a word mess but <laughs> Yeah, I yeah. think that's, that's, what, that's all I got for that answer, I think. Well, it's really exciting to hear about the potential for this particular project in this course and for it to go beyond the course as well. Something yeah, I'm really there. hoping that I mean, it will. I've also, I mean, so I went to, there's an oral history association and they had like their meeting, like the annual meeting not too long ago. I did like the little like speed networking thing which was like kind of awkward because on Zoom and so they just like swung us around different breakout rooms for a while. But they like mentioned that there's one woman, like professor in Texas or something who also did a project where she, I think she had adopted from China and they like mentioned I should reach out to her and like ask her like how like she's like archived her project or like what she's like done with it. So I need to do that still, but I think it was cool to hear that like like other people are also like within academia are also interested in this topic not just oh, like yeah. oh yeah you know people within the community so I don't know I think it'll be cool to see if I if I reach out to her to see like what she's done also I need to do that I'm gonna write that down actually right now because I keep forgetting 
<laughs> but um yeah that was really cool so we'll see like what happens eventually but I think regardless it's been able to give me some really cool like like you and hopefully other people I'll interview like it's kind of cool to see different links I'll be able to get through the project that I can like really on oh, later definitely. if I do like oh, definitely. you know end up doing a formal project I will definitely keep checking in about your project because I selfishly would love to see that come to fruition. I do too. <laughs> it's hard because like since the adoptee community is so spread out, there's not like a good like localized like organization like funding organization, I think. So it'd have to come from like something else to really help sponsor a project like that. But I don't know. Funding is always hard to figure out. Oh yeah. <laughs> community buy-in is hard. I think community buy-in is usually more localized. So when it comes to like things like this, I don't know, it just makes me curious about how projects do operate when they span over such a a wide like distance community yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. It's bigger audience. Too. It's definitely different than because <laughs> usually like if you were doing like a project on like Syrian Americans in Birmingham, like you would go to the Syrian Americans in Birmingham but when you're talking about Chinese adoptees it's like I mean there's some in Birmingham but it doesn't really represent mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. I mean I guess you could talk about the Chinese adoptee experience in Birmingham but you couldn't really speak to it more generally which I think is like something in history that a lot of people are trying to figure out when it comes to more like ethnic minority-based projects because you can speak to mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. this community in this city like hyper-local or you know very specific community in this region but then when you're trying to expand it across like the United States like because they're you know Asian American communities in like other parts of the United States but their experiences might be a little bit different it's hard to like kind of make it all work together so I think it's something that historians are trying to figure out is how do you represent those histories when a lot of it has been so hyper-local right now, but I don't know. To be continued on that one. <laughs> to be continued. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely want to give you the opportunity to share a way to contact you via social media or if there's another way. This is awful. I'm like so bad at social media. I'm trying to, I decided I probably need to get better at it. So <laughs> it's not happened yet. Mm -hmm. So I honestly don't really have any social media to share, but if anybody does want to contact me, they can reach me at my email, I guess, which is okay. <laughs> okay. Um, MiaOwens42 at gmail.com. And then MiaOwens is spelled M-I-A-O-W-E-N-S. But yeah, that's probably the best way to reach me if anyone has like questions about stuff. But yeah, I'm going to try to figure out social media like <laughs> at some point. <laughs> it hasn't happened yet. It's actually not a bad thing. It's probably good. <laughs> probably good. Yeah, I do have less is more. I do have less, Facebook less obviously more. because I reached you on that, but I don't do anything. Like, there's nothing to see on Facebook that interests anybody. Like, it's just mm -hmm. stuff people post about mm -hmm. me. So <laughs> it's probably a good thing. That's how you use it, honestly. <laughs> well, I always like to say goodbye for now. I'll be sure to check in with you because it really would be cool to see your project come to life yeah really if funny. they do then i'll try to let you know but who knows 
the future is crazy. Yeah. We'll see how things go. <laughs> the future is crazy. It's crazy. But we have a new president. Hey. But we have a new president. <laughs> it should be a nice start for the 2021 positive thoughts. Especially after the end of 2020. Hopefully we've like reached rock bottom and now there's like nowhere to go but like Yes. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Yes. <laughs> Thank you for listening to ABC. You can find us at adoptedbabiesfromchina at gmail.com if you'd like to share your story. And you can also find us at Adopted Babies from China Pod on Facebook and Instagram.